Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Logan Finney. This week I'm joined by Rachel Cohen of Boise State Public Radio to discuss a proposed wind farm in South Central Idaho that, if constructed, would be the largest wind facility in the state. Thanks for joining me, Rachel. Thanks for having me. So Rachel, walk us through the basics of this Lava Ridge wind project. Who's proposing it? Where is it located? Give us the brief rundown. Yeah, the proposal is for a wind farm of up to 400 turbines in Jerome, Lincoln, and Minidoka counties, uh, mostly on Bureau of Land Management land. There would be a lot of other components to this as well, uh, like seven substations and hundreds of miles of transmission lines to you know, bring the energy to substations and access roads um, and a battery energy storage system. And as you said, it's called Lava Ridge and it's being proposed by Magic Valley Energy, which is a subsidiary of LS Power and LS Power is an energy development and investment company based in New York. Um, And then in terms of scale, the turbines would be located in kind of these corridors, which are essentially rows. And if you drew a circle around the whole thing, it would cover about 76,000 acres. Um, And the project is anticipated to have a generating capacity of 1,000 megawatts, which, as you said, would um, put it at the largest wind farm in Idaho, but also one of the largest in the Western US. Uh, and then there's kind of the economics of it. Last I heard that it was estimated to be a billion dollar project, um, but I should say the BLM is considering alternatives to the original proposal. So all these numbers are kind of based on the original, the original project. And uh, the company says constructing these turbines will bring more than a thousand jobs during the construction phase. And then to operate the wind farm once it's up and running would probably take about 20 full-time jobs. And this is proposed for um, some lands that is owned by the Bureau of Land Management, like you referenced, which is a federal agency. And from your reporting, I've kind of picked up that this is tied into the Biden administration's larger goal of increasing renewable energy projects on public lands. Yeah, so certainly uh, wind and solar projects were being proposed um, before the Biden administration, but this administration does want a lot more renewable energy development on public lands. Um, It has a goal of achieving a carbon-free power sector by 2035 and wants to permit 25 gigawatts of solar, wind, and geothermal um, no later than 2025, and that's on U.S. public lands. Um, So not even uh, offshore, I guess this is, you know, onshore public lands. Um, And just last week, the BLM announced two things to try to incentivize more of these projects like Lava Ridge. Um, It is essentially decreasing the rates that developers have to pay um, for to propose um, other other costs associated with these projects. So lowering the cost and then adding more BLM offices that are that are specifically focused on renewable energy projects um, within existing BLM offices. None of those are in Idaho, but um, the agency did propose having a project manager 
in Idaho specifically focused on renewable energy projects. And this has been in the works longer than this new announcement from BLM. There was a public comment period relating to the Lava Wind, the Lava Ridge project last fall. What were some of the local reactions to the project from around the Magic Valley? Yeah, so BLM had a scoping process last fall, which is when they essentially asked the community what they should study in their big environmental review, which leads to an environmental impact statement, which then uh, leads to the agency making a decision about whether it's going to approve the project or not. So that scoping process was mostly people raising concerns about various um, topics. Uh, I heard a lot of concerns about cultural impacts to the Minidoka National Historic Site. That was probably the most common um, comment area. And then um, some Shoshone Bannock tribal members expressed concern that the project might impact uh, grave sites or other historic sites, um, including some that haven't been discovered yet. And then there were comments about uh, impacts to livestock grazing wildlife like sage grouse and uh, visual impacts. Um, I would say this process was more geared towards people, you know, raising or trying to get the BLM's attention um, regarding, you know, certain impacts that they think could, could come from this. Um, but there were, uh, you know, people who were enthusiastic about it, including uh, students in the College of Southern Idaho's Renewable Energy Program, um, who were enthusiastic about the project because of the jobs it would create. And can you dive a little bit more into the Minidoka site concerns? Because I know that has picked up a lot of attention in addition to the, the usual environmental concerns that come with any development project. Right. Uh, those concerns are coming from uh, the nonprofit Friends of Minidoka, whose members say some of the wind or most of the wind turbines would be visible from the Minidoka National Historic Site uh, Visitor Center in Jerome County. Um, the people I've spoken to, including descendants of those who were incarcerated at Minidoka during World War II, say that this project would essentially dishonor their history. They say that the harsh open desert landscape is really essential to the history of Japanese American incarceration. And it's why the, U the US government sent its citizens there after forcibly removing them from their homes because it was this desolate place. Um, and they say the wind farm would change that. Uh, as it's currently proposed, 14 of the turbines would be within the historic boundary of the site, but not on the land that is currently managed by the National Park Service. But the Park Service itself also raised concerns in the letter, um, which basically echoed those of Friends of Minidoka. Yeah, the windmills impact on views and vistas in the area seems to be a common theme that I've seen. Uh, just this week in Lincoln County, the commissioners at their, their regular meeting discussed um, the impact that these windmills could have, but you know, they waited to make an official stance on the project until the environmental impact statement that you referenced is completed. Um, can you tell me more about that environmental impact process and when we can expect to see that? Yes, so the Bureau of Land Management is working on the draft environmental impact statement, 
right now. It could be released in late August or September, but I've also heard fall. Uh, part of the reason why the process is a bit delayed is that um, BLM last fall actually extended their public comment period by some months, which pushed back the project timeline a bit. Um, once that draft is released, there'll be another co public comment period. And then the final version will be released. After that is when the agency makes a decision decision about approving the project, you know, it could go with one of the alternatives that have been drafted. Um, but that's when that decision would happen. Um, and in terms of the county commissioners meeting, yes, uh, this is a project that has come up um, during a lot of local county commission meetings, I would say, especially in Lincoln County, uh, perhaps because two cities in the county, uh, Richfield and Dietrich would be some of the closest communities to the turbines. Um, which is, you know, potentially why that community uh, is raising concerns. Um, but I, I think it, it's been discussed for a while. And as you said, two of those commissioners said that they wanted to wait to weigh in before the EIS is released. We're kind of in this in-between phase right now where not a whole lot of new information is gonna come out about this project until that impact statement is released. And you've referenced, um, I think twice now, that BLM has kind of some alternate configurations or alternate proposals. Can you tell me a little bit more about those and how they differ from the original proposal and kind of what, what they're trying to mitigate with these alternatives? Yeah, I don't have too many details on those alternatives. I think there might be four or so alternative arrangements. Um, they pretty much all either change how many turbines there are altogether, uh, where they're located. Um, definitely the comments from friends of Minidoka and um, people who were concerned about impacts to the Minidoka National Historic Site, um, those affected some of the um, renderings of the, those alternatives. One alternative which exists, I think, in any project proposal is essentially going with with no turbines at all, which is would essentially amount to a rejection of the project proposal. Um, and I did speak with friends of Minidoka about those different arrangements and whether they would be more acceptable to that group. Um, the director told me that they're waiting on a viewshed analysis from the National Park Service to see if any of those alternative arrangements um, would be, you know, less harmful in their point of view. Um, and then next week, the Bureau of Land Management is holding a all-day site tour. Um, the RSVP deadline for that has already passed last week, but um, I assume you're going on that site tour. What are you expecting to learn? Like I said, it's kind of an in-between stage, so I don't anticipate... Um, learning a whole lot more about the project itself. It, you know, of course there'll be some uh, refreshers and, but I think it's more about like how people are reacting to the project. Um, BLM in several states have, has kind of a citizens council that meets a few times a year. And this tour is the first meeting of a subcommittee of that council that's dedicated to Loveridge. So 
the tour will include a project overview by LS Power and some stops, including at the Minidoka National Historic Site. Um, and I'm interested in how people are thinking about this, especially because uh, the members of the Resource Advisory Council, um, that's like the broader council, not, not the subcommittee, uh, they could make a recommendation to the agency on this project. They don't necessarily have to, but you know, it, it is another opportunity for essentially locals, local people to weigh in. And if our listeners are interested in this project and want to learn more about it, um, where can they look other than your fantastic reporting? <laughs> um, BLM has a project page dedicated to Loveridge. Uh, that's where, you know, you can find pretty much all the documents related to this process, the scoping report, which includes a uh, summary of the public comment period. And then this subcommittee that's going on the tour this week will meet a few more times this summer, and there will be public comment periods at those meetings. Then the, just the next big window is when the draft environmental impact statement is released. It will kick off a believe 45 day public comment period. And that is really the next big opportunity to weigh in. All right. Well, we will keep our eye out for that environmental impact statement later this summer or possibly in the fall. Rachel Cohen with Boise State Public Radio. Thanks so much for your time this week. Thanks, Logan. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho, by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.